I ain't feeling fine. I ain't feeling fine. Guess that you could say that I was about to lose my mind. I ain't feeling fine. I ain't feeling fine. Been such a long time since I felt fine. Mental, mental illness. Mental, mental illness. Mental, 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 mental illness. Mental, mental illness. Mental, mental illness. Mental, 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 mental illness. Mental I would spend all week working at my shitty call center job reading detective novels written for and by imbeciles and spend my weekends holed up with a bottle of dextroamphetamine. I would take these little grainy yellow tablets by the fistful until the buildings around me seemed to throb with the malevolent energy. I would duck into the bathrooms of tacky family-style Mexican restaurants and chug down pint bottles of cheap gin and grip the edges of the sink, staring wildly into the bathroom mirror anchoring myself in the reflection of my obscenely dilated pupils, black humming voids with just a thin strip of color around the margins to keep from spinning out into space. I'd creep back to my shitty apartment, my face seized by paranoid contortions, avoiding the gaze of the increasingly hostile-seeming pedestrians on my way, lock the door and pull the blinds way down so not even a sliver of light could get in. Oftentimes, I'd find myself staring at the pile of filthy laundry in the corner of my room and the flies making their erratic orbit around it and try to kill them with the force of my mind. They didn't die, but seemed visibly distressed at my effort, but possibly I just flatter myself. Finally, I would hunch in front of the filthy, dust-streaked monitor of my computer and look at internet pornography for hours until the images were literally burnt into my retinas, and when I'd shut my eyes to sleep, the lurid snapshots would swim before me like undersea dream pornography. It was at this time I would get the idea that the world outside those four walls had ceased to exist, replaced by an endless expanse of crackling white TV static. And honestly, those were the best days of my life. most famous enclaves of wealth, there's an interesting phenomena relating to mental illness that I've noticed. I've seen it everywhere I've been, in the US, Europe, Middle East, Latin America, but to keep it simple, I'll keep it local. For me, local is between Manhattan, New York, 
and Palm Beach, Florida, and of course, Greenwich, Connecticut, and the Hamptons. Everyone in my society has access to the very best medical care. Physicians, psychiatrists, good old-fashioned shrinks, social workers, whatever you want to call them, all of whom you can trust. And families of high status, of course, want to give their children every advantage in life. But while they may sometimes go to great lengths to avoid their children being branded with the stigma of mental illness, they're sometimes also incentivized to embrace a diagnosis. A diagnosis can, of course, bring great things like prescription amphetamines, benzodiazepines, and so, so much more. But a diagnosis can also mean extra time to take tests and ensure admission to elite higher learning institutions. And, you know, of course, maintain social status through that. Diagnosis can also foster sympathy. Oh, little Billy crashed his new car drunk and coked out of his mind? He was dealing with mental illness. He was having an episode. So he gets to go to rehab, not jail. Little Susie won't do as she's told. She's depressed. We all feel badly for her. I would imagine that some studies have been done on the correlation between wealth and mental illness diagnoses, but that's obvious. What's funny to me is how so many of these people just have normal problems that in lower socioeconomic rungs would be ignored or addressed with friends and family or a church or simply grown out of posing no real barrier to a happy and successful life. Perhaps more shocking to me, though, is how wealth can serve to protect some from being diagnosed with a mental illness. You can cheat your way into elite institutions. You can be totally reckless. You can disregard others and devolve to a sort of state of inhumanity and detachment from even the people closest to you. These types of stories make great entertainment as evidenced by some popular books, TV shows, and movies in the last few years. But the advantage of an undiagnosed mental illness is almost incalculable. As you probably know, a disproportionately high percentage of CEOs display sociopathic tendencies or are diagnosed as sociopaths or psychopaths. It seems that society's elite completely lack empathy, and of course it's true. A boy born in the right home can be well on the spectrum from a young age, discover the feeling, or lack thereof, uh, killing. At a very young age, he could get kicked out of boarding school, he could abuse drugs, be arrested multiple times as a teenager, brutalize his peers physically and psychologically, and abuse the people who serve and care for him to make a living without any consequences whatsoever. Hell, that's a great training regimen for navigating and maintaining a place in high society. I hope I can do for my son what my parents did for me.
those things are all false idols and will only lead to the kingdom of Satan. You might think, for instance, that all the great artists and geniuses are crazy. It's true, they are. But it's bad to be one of those people, except for Kanye. Those people are not doing it right. They've lost the plot. Please also don't get into a groove about how everyone around you is crazy and deranged now and everything is clown world. Wow, clown world. Sick world. Dystopia. Wow, life in rat utopia. Piss earth. I'm just like the Joker or Patrick Bateman. Wow, all these girls are on SSRIs and post the same memes about Garfield as a Lovecraftian entity over and over. Wow, stupid Facebook memes. SSRIs. But do you actually want to be one of those girls? No. So be careful there, buddy. Clean your room, buckle. No more anti-hero media. No more anti-hero media. You're not the Joker. You're the pillar of your community, guy. You're the one who's gonna get better and better and help everyone else out. You're not the tortured outsider. You're not the anti-hero. You're the hero. You're not weighed down by this sick clown world. You escaped it or will shortly. You're strong. podcast where you take submissions and uh, your first episode is about women so I thought I'd send you this thing I wrote Uh, it's based on this theory I've come up with over the past year uh, based on my observations that all the third wave feminist social justice warrior girls don't really like male feminists and are secretly repulsed or even creeped out by them Uh, because I don't know if you've noticed but I think a lot of these male feminists are actually really creepy and it just grosses me out to look at them and observe the way they talk to women anyway I'll send it to you today tell me what you think I want your feedback but I have a feeling it's just what you're looking for later Existence, a chrome hell before you get to the real deal. Uh, 
believe in mental illness as many Westerners see it, but we also have uh, three psychiatrists in the family, but we certainly don't believe in diagnosing people and shoving them with Adderall and SSRIs, and I've never had SSRIs, but uh, my parents did believe in beatings, um, so it was like memory TV, but all the time. People are forced to face the afflictions of their own mental health, and oftentimes in very real and very visceral ways. I can't help but recall to a time none more real and none more visceral than 18-year-old Burwa working on the ICU of the lowest-rated psychiatric hospital in my city. As you can imagine, one could encounter quite literally crazy shit throughout the work week, but one of the nights that still sticks to the walls of my mind more than getting stabbed in the face or the front poop debacle was the Christmas Eve of 2016. And unlike other noteworthy events during my time there working as an orderly, this night was probably one of the quietest. I was working doubles, so I came in around 10 a.m., cutting through the sleet and soot-colored snow and lurching my truck over slush banks into the parking lot. I sat and stared at myself in the rear view. I was probably listening to the Silent Hill soundtrack. You see, my job was across the street from a cemetery and next door to a tombstone maker, so I enjoyed leaning into the spookiness to tolerate the dread and anxiety of coming here. I clock in, bringing the cold in with me, and head to shift change. Everyone's quiet today. A few people are feigning smiles and squeezing as much enthusiasm out as possible, especially since the other two goons on ICU would smoke weed in the parking lot, but no one wanted to be here. We were required to do Q15s, status checks on a roster of patients every 15 minutes. The ward was full around this time, 40 beds. Uneventful morning. I distinctly remember a man named Rodriguez who looked like a J.J. Villar drawing come to life, not even giving me a hard time first thing in the morning like he normally does. Even through Alexa Pro lacquer, he shuffled himself through beige hallways with silent contemplation. The ward's never been this quiet. My first shift ends around 6, and I felt every minute of it dance down my lower back. I'm worried about visitation tonight. That rarely goes good for ICU, but Christmas Eve in particular? Yeesh. I sit in the day room watching Year Without a Santa Claus with a few patients. We're all talking about how weird today feels. That batch in particular was rough. There was at least an incident a day that led to first aid, isolation, or both. But this was different. We all shared a ceasefire and kicked around our feelings seeing as we're all at the same level of captivity here. A lot of these folks were kept there for too long. The psychiatrist got paid commission for scripts signed and beds filled. Rodriguez comes to mind. He came in on a gurney with the cops because he tried to suicide by burning down his house with his fucking family in it. By the winter, he went from comically sketchy drifter in a Coen Brothers movie to a shambling Yosemite Sam caricature. I'm no doctor, but you can't help but notice the volume of pills increasing for not just him, but everyone with each week I escort him to the med nurse. Sickening. The evening comes and it's time for visitation. One of the patients at my table stirs, a dark-haired girl with light eyes. I can't remember her name, but she was around my age. She was well-behaved, and I never knew why she was there. In the freezing cafeteria, I sit in the corner, and I am patient and her boyfriend as they start to get loud about something, and I catch a glance of the dark-haired girl with what I presume is her father. They talk in hushed tones. He looks like he crawled out of a fuel intake. Wiry hair, fat, oil-stained fingers. The talks I had with the patients bounced between my ears. Some people are here to get out of jail, some people brought by ambulance, and some don't even know that they're here right now. I'm about to do my last hour of Q15s and I'm gone. The ward is quiet save some sharp breaths and stifled cries coming from the dark-haired girl's room. 
I ease open the door and roll the light on. Hey, you good? No. She's sitting upright facing the window. I round the bedside. In her right hand is a blade from a tape dispenser. Her arms and thighs are shredded. I take the blade and start walking her to med bay. We talk. She tells me she felt like she was drowning in her sleep. She told me she'd been calling her friends and mom to come see her. They never did. She said the only person who thought about me tonight was the one that molests me. When she tried telling her family about it, they didn't believe her and sent her to this place instead. Cosmically crushing weight planted in my chest. I wait for her outside the nurse's office. I watched snow fall into the plexiglass windows and wondered about the invisible anchors we all drag and what to do with them. I wonder about that every day. oxygen to your brain and bring yourself into a place of focus. Breathe out, breathe in on a count of two, breathe out on a count of one. Breathe in on a count of two, breathe out on a count of one. Feel your head lighten, your body holds itself tightly into a place of alert calm. Now, beginning with me a body scan, notice any pressure in your head or any heaviness fogginess in your mind, strange pains, tension in your muscles, restlessness in your back and legs. Try to feel how your posture has been shaped by years of unnatural behavior which your skeletal structure was never designed for. Notice the supporting muscles are atrophying even as you sit and listen. Just be aware of the way your shoulders are hunched forward and put extra pressure on your neck to support your head. Notice how that's leading slowly but surely to an almost completely incurable back pain in just a few decades. Now take all this energy from your muscles and focus it. Visualize it as a dense black ball of all your anxieties and concerns. Put that ball right at the spot where your jawbones meet. Try to clench down tightly with your jaw and all of your worries. Swallow them deep into the pit of your stomach. As you feel your mind might wander, just notice that. Notice the ways your neural pathways are warped by a constant stream of irrelevant information that you have no use for. And just be aware of how frequently you lose attention. Try to arrive back in the present. Don't think about all the things you have to do today. Don't think about the difference between what you thought life could be and what it looks like now. Be aware of the gut feeling you have that the world is becoming worse and ignore that. Don't think about how it's too late to really make a difference. Don't think about how every day that goes by is another wasted opportunity. Don't think about how even the clothes you're wearing right now were likely sewn by a slave or a child or a child slave. Don't think about the dollar an hour they pay the workers who worked 12-hour shifts to manufacture the phone you're listening to this on right now. Try to consider how many children in the Congo might have died to extract the cobalt in that phone. Don't think about which three species were probably wiped out today by human activity and the ways that you are complicit in the ecological crisis, which is becoming larger and larger every day. Just feel how insignificant you are and how pointless it is to even attempt to try to fight the cruelty and destruction which operate as the basic fact in our world. Just let it go. 
Just let the moment pass you by, letting each breath bring you closer to your ultimate destiny as a forgotten corpse deep under the ground. Just let go. Let go of the forgotten and abandoned futures that might have been, and just sit in what is now and breathe. You can't do anything about it anyway. Just join me in mindful reflection over the present moment. about how my piece made no sense and to leave you alone, but I know you were just joking about that, so I figured I'd send you some more stuff uh, for your next episode about the libs. Uh, you'll love it. Uh, it's all about how the original Klansmen and segregationists were all Democrats, because, you see, the Democrats are the real racists, and that's why the cities are so messed up, because they're all run by the party of the KKK, and that's why they keep telling black people that it's okay to act the way they do all the time. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll make sure you get that. Uh, just make sure you listen to it, because it's the kind of thing I think your listeners will really love. Alright, see ya. I was 19 and living on campus at a small private college in the forest of Oregon. My best friend there was friends with this drug dealer who would come down from Olympia and sell a bunch of weed to kids on campus. One time, he brought down LSD. I had never tried LSD. I took it with my friends and it was the most beautiful experience I had ever had. I saw a bright and shimmering squirrel, and I squealed with joy. I crawled inside the hollowed-out part of a tree, and I pretended to be born out of it. I could not wait to try it again. I got my chance on the night of the last day of school freshman year. Only this time, in my rush to transcendence, I took six times the dose I took the first time. The trip got off to a rocky start, but it went really bad when I was gripped by the horrifying thought, I have lost myself. I desperately went searching for my student identification card, thinking if I could find it, I would find myself, but that was not the case. This initiated in me a full-blown state of paranoia, fear, and obsession that would last me for the next couple of years of my life. I returned home from school, and I could not hide my distress. My parents put me in therapy. But that stopped being effective once I came to believe that I had actually died the night of my bad trip was in hell, and that Satan, or God, or something, 
was trying to trick me to believe that I was still alive. And my therapist, my parents, my friends, and everyone on what appeared to be Earth were in on the trick. I thought that if I shot myself in the head, I would wake up right back in my dorm room in Oregon where I had died that night and have to go through this forever. I became gripped by the concern that I was brand new to my body and all of my memories were implanted. I would write notes to myself to try and reassure my future self, you wrote this. Your memory of writing this was not implanted. But when I went to go read it, I was not reassured that whoever had implanted my memories had also crafted this writing as a trick. I did not trust reality, I did not trust my thoughts, and there was nowhere to hide. I never snapped out of it. Only time healed my wounded young brain. into a room without having to check everywhere, the closets, underneath the bed, in the bathroom, and stuff like that, without um, thinking somebody's in there. I can't, you know, pee with the light on. Sometimes I take a shower with the light off so I can be more relaxed. In the mirror, I saw a distorted monster. It was like fire to my face. I was so happy. And I'm so sorry to everybody. I really, truly am. How can the American Psychiatric Association decide that homosexuality is, is not any longer an illness? It was done by voting. Now, voting defines something as a political act. I, so really, I don't see what more evidence is needed that the APA is a political lobby. Is being transgender a mental illness? Being transgender and gender dysphoria are related. They are not the same. Also, this is not the same distress caused by being transgender in today's society, created by having to face insults, violence, or discrimination. Being bipolar is part of what makes you brilliant, part of what makes you you, and you embrace it. 
I'm often wondered if it's actually that being an artist in any way, any nature, is a, a, a kind of a sign of a certain kind of dysfunction, of social dysfunction. Basically, they sat me down at the table and they started asking me all types of questions like, are you suicidal? Do you hear voices? Are you going to kill yourself? What would you do? What help am I getting? What are they possibly doing behind the desk that's going to help better my life? Here's a new medication. Here's a new medication. Here's a new rehab. Here's a new rehab. Go get better. Go get better. It doesn't help me do anything. Autistic men and lone autistic women of the world, wherever you are, you are wrongly maligned, stigmatized, persecuted at every turn by a world that needs you but completely fails to understand you. It's not your fault. No one says what they mean anymore. That's not worth understanding what they're saying anyway. Luckily for you, another group of once similarly marginalized individuals has blazed a trail not only to tolerance, nay, but onwards to veneration. We don't have much time. Listen closely. This podcast comes out March 1st. The 20th Annual World Congress of Psychiatry takes place from March 10th to the 13th. You need to find your way into any now virtual, sadly, seminars or meetings about autism, and you need to protest as loudly as humanly possible. I understand that some of you are screamers, so this should be easy. You need to keep doing this at every gathering of psychologists, whatever, until they're so completely fed up with your bullshit that they take you out of the DSM, bleat like goats, moan like sirens, scream like the eagles you know you are. Once that happens, we'll move on to step two in a later episode. all human spirit because you have lost your humanity 
He forsook it when we languished for the basis fulfillment and you rebuked us again and again. We withered as our loved ones turned to dust out of sight, shackled, not even allowed a final touch. Children who have spent more of their lives inebriated on experimental concoctions and sober with clarity of mind, blinding them from taking a look at the ruinous waste that was once their lives until they feared it is too late, and instead convinced them to fling themselves from cliff after cliff in rituals of psychic abuse until they are not but a stain on the canyon floor, slowly slipping from collective memory of the greatness they once inhabited. Or worse yet, these children become revenants and turn this fury back upon those undeserving, encumbered by horrific visages in the shadows so that they know not where their true enemies lie. And after the rubble and dust settles, we survivors are told we can only clap more chains upon ourselves. And oh, how you smile when those you've possessed and corrupted are loosed on us like rabbit hounds with eyes bulging, teeth gnashing, retching bile, ravenous to crunch the bones of the righteous. I take solace only in that it is not my God who will be left boiling in semen and excrement, but you. And you will be set fire 2,392 times for each wrongdoing. The only pleasure I take in this is the knowing that the hatred you bring and infect upon Westphalia has no place here and will be banished. God always wins. I'm in the bathroom at work, so I have to be quiet. Mental illness has become an utterly meaningless word through buzzy overuse, much like racism, fascism, misogyny, sexual abuse, all of it. When I moved away from home for college at 19 to Denton, Texas, where the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show takes place, I had a legitimate nervous breakdown, the result of feeling directionless and alone, drinking all the time, discovering empty gay hookups, and having an unhinged and witchy female roommate. I had panic attacks, I went to the quack shack, and just like the doctor's office scene in Requiem for a Dream was told I was depressed and prescribed Paxil, Paxil and told there would be a six to eight month adjustment period, and then the missing chemical in my brain would be filled in. Paxil gave me legitimate schizophrenic delusions and fantasies. I attributed intense meaning to everything around me and took crazed notes of like chicken scratch when I saw them later. I gave many of my prized possessions away, including many DVDs that are out of print and impossible to replace now. I ruined every friendship and failed all of my classes. The doctor switched me to Lexapro, which was more stable, but caused me to sit around in a bathrobe eating plain spaghetti, watching Married with Children reruns all day, totally contentedly. After that semester, I moved back home de defeated. I did mushrooms with some guys and experienced total ego death and memory loss saw visions of burning cathedrals, smoked an entire pack of coals in an hour, and had the worst kind of trip you could possibly have. In the following months, I noticed that the panic attacks were gone and that depression was something I could will myself out of and compartmentalize. If you have the genetics that produced horrifying psychedelic trips instead of fun ones, you can cure your neurotic fears, neuralgia, and neurasthenia via one camping trip with the boys where you experience death. 
safer and more productive than confiding in therapists. Andrew Engeldinger, 36 years old. September, 2012. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Seven dead, two wounded. Redazepine, Trazodone. Robert Kenneth Stewart, 45 years old. March, 2009. Carthage, North Carolina. Eight dead, three wounded. Lexapro, Ambien, Xanax. Samuel Cho, 23 years old. April, 2007. Blacksburg, Virginia. 32 dead, 23 wounded. Prozac and Paxil. Jeff Weiss, 16 years old. March 2005. Red Lake, Minnesota. 10 dead, 12 wounded. Prozac. Stephen Life, 39 years old. December 1993. Chelsea, Michigan. One dead, two wounded. Prozac. Laurie Wasserman Dan, 30 years old. May 1988. Winnetka, Illinois. Two dead, six wounded. Anafrino. Matty Sari, 22 years old. September 2008. Kohajoki, Finland. Ten dead, one wounded. Xanax. Tamoro Takuma, 39 years old. September 2004. Osaka, Japan. Eight dead, 16 wounded. Seroquel, Paxil, and Loremetazepan. Devin Kelly, 26 years old, November 2017, Sutherland Springs, Texas, 26 dead, 20 wounded, Xanax, and Jose Reyes, 12 years old, October 2013, Sparks, Nevada, 2 dead, 1 wounded, Prozac, Ivan Lopez, 34 years old, April 2014, Fort Hood, Texas, Four dead, 16 wounded, an ambient. Bradley Stone, 35 years old, December 2015, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, seven dead, Trazodone and Risperidone. Ali David Sondoli, 18 years old, July 2016, Munich, Germany, 10 dead, 27 wounded. Eric Harris, 17 years old, April 1999, Littleton, Colorado, 12 dead, 23 wounded, Zoloft, and Luvox. Has the world gone mad, or have I gone sane? How would I even tell? I can just go shove any self-diagnosis I like in my Twitter bio right now, and it has to be believed axiomatically. To attempt to interrogate or refute that is to commit actual, literal violence against me as a person. And once my self-diagnosed mental illness is in my bio, it's perfect cover for anything I do or say. Of course that's going to make you go crazy. Who could handle that type of absolute ideological power? Of course, you're not personally responsible for the way you feel, but it would be nice if you were, right? It would mean that the world isn't sick, it's just you. You just need better pills or a better therapist to stop feeling the way you're feeling about a world that is going absolutely great for everybody else. 
which is the sickest thing you could possibly tell a troubled mind. So on one side, you've got the people drunk off the power of being able to diagnose themselves with anything as an escape hatch from the personal responsibility of their conduct. On the other hand, people for whom the worst thing you can do is tell them that it's their personal responsibility for being ill, that they are sick and the world isn't. And so maybe the real mental illness is the imaginary specters of capitalist individuality we made along the way. You stood in the driveway with your mother and father. Your mother was fighting back tears, but she cried at the drop of a hat. Your father stood there checking out the exterior of your vehicle to make sure there wouldn't be any issues during the drive there. You got a kiss on the cheek from your mother and a wave from your father. dreamed of this day since you could remember. The drive there you mentally made light of your parents' concerned expressions. What was there to worry about? When you arrived at school, things seemed fine. You were a little bit shyer than normal, but that was to be expected. Your friends from high school weren't there anymore. Nobody was there to vouch for you. Laugh at your jokes first so that others could catch on to your sense of humor? You've had to do this before. Move to a new place, make new friends. It was easy. But this time, something was different. You weren't sure how to show yourself to people anymore. It was like the first time you were forced to defend a deeply held belief, and realizing you couldn't. They were right. College is a time to explore new ideas, to challenge your beliefs. But there were too many ideas, none of them right or wrong, and within no time you found you had no beliefs left to be challenged. Even your friends from high school started to notice a shift in you now. All social interactions became more difficult. You'd feel a rush of anxiety pulse throughout your bones any time you had to speak with someone. After a while, it started to follow you home, even when you were alone. There was no respite anymore. You'd catch statistics about schizophrenia, OCD, bipolar disorder, most often coming into fruition during people's early 20s, drifting throughout your mind. Who were these people you were trying to impress in the first place? Mostly a bunch of liars and hypocrites from what you can tell. So these are the people that you're stuck with. Not just at college, but anywhere. Forced to continually be on any time these strangers' eyes were set upon you. 
otherwise they could fuck everything up for you. They could inform the mob that you're a weirdo, a creep, an asshole, and the pitchforks would be out in no time. You could already see the torches outside your window. Your life is now in the hands of these people, the hands of the other, the Demiurge. So this is freedom? They sure didn't tell you any of this during orientation.
taking these drugs to cope with common problems pretty much every normal person has does not make whatever problem you're trying to cope with 1,000 times worse. Anyone who tells you otherwise is a victim of misinformation or worse, some kind of Nazi or foreign agent. Naming it, listing symptoms, putting it in big books for the shrinks, starting forums for quote-unquote sufferers, coming up with cute diminutions of the original name to refer to the symptomatic, they all make it, whatever it is, more real than it was. I don't think naming viruses, diseases, etc. makes them real in the same way for the sake of my sanity. I pretend we're not willing those into being. But I swear to you that probably 90% of the DSM wasn't real a century ago. No one had any of it. Some poor 15-year-old girl goes on WebMD. This is how it goes. Because her friend saw some TV show and said she might have something, and her mind's still malleable, and she unconsciously sees the symptoms as a to-do list. You see, girls are smart, man. They know better than anyone that our society loves the victims. The sufferers rule us. Uh, we put them above everyone else. She sees her opportunity, and she takes it, and ten years later, you type a little too loudly, and she's got misophonia because of her second-order wistomania or generalized anxiety or whatever, and no, she doesn't have to calm down, and no, she doesn't have to put up with it because mental illness gets her the special treatment she'd otherwise be denied by the proselytizers of the short poppy. This is why ugly women collect mental disorders like men collect pogs. If you tell her any of that, boy, you'd best believe your popcorn machine's flying out the window, relationships over, no one who uses their real name online will ever take your side. But I will. I'm a little bit crazy. Why being cool is wrong. Why 
being cool is bad, actually. Oh, you're so fucking cool. Are you not perpetually mad? Are you not perpetually fuming, irate, steaming, frothing, boiling, seething, simmering, stewing? That's how you get fried, cooked, burn out, man. And that's all you're doing, getting heated up. You're burning up, and then you go cold. Like charcoal turning into ash. Losing your gravity, man. Ashes taken by the wind. And then falling like snowflakes, man. Falling to rest. Falling to rest. Falling to
and how you just appeal to the worst of online male rage. Could go through your old tweets, screenshot them, save them in my file. First, I'm going to need to step down from these rocks, though, and go home to do that. What's the theme of this uh, next episode you're doing? I want to submit something to that. Patrick Purdy, 25 years old, January 1989, Stockton, California, 5 dead, 30 wounded, amitriptyline and thorazine. Robert Hawkins, 19 years old, December 2007, Omaha, Nebraska, 8 dead, 4 wounded, Valium. Christopher Wood, 34 years old, April 2009, Middletown, Maryland, 5 dead, Wobotrin, Ellaville, and Pamelor. Luke Woodham, 16 years old, October 1997, Pearl, Mississippi. Three dead, six wounded. Prozac. Patrick Wood Crucius, 21 years old, August 2019, El Paso, Texas. 23 dead, 23 injured. And Benzo Diazepines. Scott Decry, 41 years old, October 2011, Seal Beach, California. Eight dead, one wounded. And Kip Kinkle, 15 years old, May 1998, Springfield, Oregon. Four dead, 22 wounded. Prozac. Christopher Pittman, 12 years old, November 2001, Chester, South Carolina, 2 dead, Paxil, Zoloft, Dylan Roof, 21 years old, June 2015, Charleston, South Carolina, 9 dead, 1 wounded, Suboxone and Xanax, Pekka Eric Ogden, 18 years old, November 2007, Tusula, Finland, 9 dead, 12 wounded, James Wilson, 19 years old, September 1988, Greenwood, South Carolina, two dead, nine wounded. Jason Hoffman, 18 years old, March 2001, El Cajon, California, five wounded. Selexa, and Defexor. Neil Furrow, 37 years old, August 1999, Los Angeles, California, one dead, five wounded. Prozac. Aaron Alexis, 34 years old, September 2013, Washington DC, 12 dead, Eight wounded. Trazodone. Stephen Kazimerzak, 27 years old. February 2008. DeKalb, Illinois. Six dead, 21 wounded. Prozacam, Ambien, Xanax. Joseph T. Westbecker, 47 years old. September 1989. Louisville, Kentucky. Nine dead, 11 wounded. Prozac. On the day that I tried to kill myself, or rather, tried to try to kill myself, the sky was clear. I was a senior in college, lazily approaching a degree in journalism. I was standing at a campus bus stop, waiting for my bus to take me back to the five-room party house I called home that year, when out of a clear blue sky it began to drizzle. My thoughts were wandering by that point, and they must have wandered someplace morose, because as it began to rain, my eyes welled with tears. The bus ride home, I suppressed these tears, and finally, when I got home, 
Acting on autopilot, I went into the bathroom, grabbed one of my Gillette razors, and smashed it with the leg of a chair until I split the safety plastic open. I took a bare razor blade between my fingers and tested it on my right palm. I was surprised and horrified, though I shouldn't have been, that my invincible college-aged flesh gave way to metal, and after I gave myself a glorified paper cut, I tossed the razor, cleaned myself, and never spoke about this incident again. A shame that I tried it, a shame that I couldn't end the one thing I allegedly hated more than anything, my own life. This was not an isolated event. I was a pretty carefree and jovial guy, but I always had a morbid streak. This was exacerbated my senior year when I began cultivating a serious cocaine enthusiasm. I drove myself deeply in debt to satisfy this addiction, subsisting on deliberate bank overdrafts and maxed out credit cards and finally embezzling from my place of employment, my dad's company. Of course, I more or less hid this cocaine use from them. They still do not know the extent of it. Over time, things got better. That's just sort of how these things go. They either get better or, well, they go worse. I saw a campus therapist a couple times, but I only saw him as another authority figure to lie to, to hide myself from. I did end up graduating, though barely, and moved back home to my hometown. And the rest is, as they say, history. I don't know if this anecdote qualifies as mental illness. I was probably just a retarded kid looking for some kicks, bored of school, but terrified of what comes after. But I know that it isn't exactly mental wellness. strong political beliefs makes you at best the guy who everybody knows exactly what he's going to say before he says it already rolling their eyes before you even start talking and at worst it makes you the type of guy who uh, is a homicidal maniac that belongs in a jail cell belongs in a cage. So yeah, I'd say you should give it a try. students, uh, bonjour faculty, I have been asked to speak with all of you today about the topic of insanity. If you have read my book, Manas and Civilization, you know that the pathologization of deviant human behavior is very much informed by the decline of leprosy in the West. This forced the power structures to find a different subject to confine and medicalize. In short, mental illness does not exist. It is simply an expression of marginal ways of living. It is very similar to this new pandemic, <coughs> which has caught the attention 
of the entire world. I am speaking, of course, of the human immunodeficiency virus, where it is said that this virus primarily affects the black man and the homosexual man. Coincidentally, around the same time, these two groups have made tremendous advances in politics and the economy. This was an idea I was pondering while myself and my beloved partner Danielle were spit-roasting an Algerian busboy we had met in a BDSM club in Paris earlier that day. We are supposed to believe that this alleged pandemic is not simply another fictitious meta-narrative used to discipline and punish those whose very existence is a defiance of modernistic reductive normativity. Just look at the ways that all the parent structures, media, government, medicine, religion, and academia have used this pandemic, like leprosy, to their own material advantage, and they expect us not to notice. In short, they expect us to share in their madness. <coughs> Interesting choice of words, isn't it? Mental health illness three words capable of perfect total judgment they look into your brain the soul of the 21st century don't you know and they determine whether you're going to heaven or hell that's all there is to it it's the same abrahamic judgment you're promised sanctuary from with regard to our fellow man Judge not, that ye not be judged. Just delivered unto you, our unfortunate son. What else? The cons and piracy. What else? You don't really believe them, do you? You look into the mirror and what, what do you see? What do you see? You see the fire of consciousness, don't you? The fire between the neurons, the beautiful flame of intelligent human life. You see the flame that looks at you and smiles because it sees something good and is happy. You see it, don't you? Admit it! You see the fire in your own eyes. And you think it's beautiful. And you think everyone is beautiful in that way. And for a moment, you doubt them. You doubt all the fucking mental health advocates, those creatures and proselytes. Mental health. You ask them why? Why are we going in and tinkering inside people's brains? 
only inside your head. You don't ask them out loud. Keep it to yourself. Don't you? Divine, we invoke thee from the seed swallowing flower frothing earth. To thy womb we return, and by thy box wine are retarded, that our humanity and the bestial oblivion may perish. 
by supplicants await thee in Craigslist advertised basements with furry suits arrayed to give up virgin humane soul for worldly animal flesh and worship thy all-coddling body thick and curvaceous. Castratus mommy, we are fallen. Castratus mommy, we are fallen. Castratus mommy, we are fallen. BK Ultra.